ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engines running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. All right, welcome to the Launchpad Podcast. I'm Aaron. I'm Matt. And Matt, happy Halloween, dude. Yeah, that's right. Happy Halloween. What are you doing? Anything Anything today or what? Or fun? Anything oh, fun? Oh, man. I, I have no idea because I will be working, which... Yeah. But at the same time, like I'm really excited because everybody there is you know big horror fans. I mean, we've got the whole makeup team, Greg Nicotero. They're all going to be dressing up. And uh, I saw Greg's costume, and it's from Galaxy Quest, the crazy like head... Oh, that okay. Alan Rickman wears. He's he's doing that. Let's see how funny would it be if Greg Nicotero just had like a store bought costume, like he was like a crayon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, I don't even, I don't even want to try this this year. But like everybody, I guess, goes hard and they dress up and and we have a costume contest at lunch. So I'm excited. I got my Freddy all jazzed up. He looks awesome. There you go. Yeah, he does look awesome. I am gonna be a dad joke. For Halloween, I'm gonna. I just bought. I bought a costume that's called a killer bee costume, and it yeah. comes with antenna, a plastic uh-huh. knife, and a black and yellow striped shirt that has blood splattered all over it. Oh, and that shirt has a stinger. I'm just gonna use the shirt and the antenna, not use the knife. So I'm gonna look like a bloody bee, but then I'm yeah. gonna do a quick and dirty zo- zombie makeup on myself, and I'm gonna be a zombie. <laughs> that's pretty it makes funny. Me laugh every time I say it. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Something I thought was funny. I saw that I saw you in a picture of this, and I didn't get the joke at first. And I thought you were just Charlie Brown who just had enough of that shit. Oh, <laughs> what, did Amanda post a picture of it somewhere? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Charlie Brown who had enough of that shit. You That's, were just like, no. I'm Charlie Brown. I'm done killing all you motherfuckers. Charlie Red. <laughs> <laughs> well. We are psyched to be talking with you guys on Halloween, and we have uh, what we think is a really fun episode today. What are we doing, Rooms? So we're talking about some of our favorite Halloween movies, but in a specific lens. So we're going to be talking about three films specifically that are 80s remakes. Not remakes of movies from the 80s, because they they did do that too. But these are movies that came out in the 80s that were remakes of other films. And there's actually a lot of movies that fall into this category, but me and Rumi have decided to specifically talk about, <laughs> because we don't want to keep you guys for seven hours on a, on a marathon podcast on Halloween. I'm sure you have shit to do and kids to scare, but we picked three of our favorites. What are the big three, Rumi? What, I also think these are three of the best Oh, I, I totally agree. And this is, I think, pretty much everybody would agree that these three movies should have been remade. I mean, they, they were done well. I think they didn't just retell the same story. They added a lot to the original. And I think that these are three of the coolest fucking horror movies I can think of. The first one yeah. is Cronenberg's The Fly. Yep. And this is a remake of the 1958 Kurt Newman The Fly, which stars Vincent Price and some other dudes. But Vincent Price isn't really the star of the movie. He's just in it. As yeah. Like the, yeah, there the was friend. more key value. They were like, uh, let's just yeah. put this asshole in there. Yeah, that's the first one we're talking about. What's the next one? The second one we're talking about is The Blob, and I love this movie. This is the 1988 Chuck Russell remake of The Blob, and the original came out in 1958 and was directed by Irving S. Yeaworth Jr. That's a mouthful. Mouthful of blob. <laughs> the original star of Steve McQueen, and it was a good movie. 
with some solid effects, but the the remake is incredible. It is. And uh, I think one of the co-writers is Frank Darabont. So Mm -hmm. it's just got a great script, incredible practical effects, and it's just... I love this movie. This is one of my favorite movies to watch around Halloween. It is really good. What's the last one we're watching? The last one is probably the best remake I could ever think of. Talk about a movie that took an idea and just did it even better than the original. John Carpenter's 1982, The Thing. And this might be one of my favorite movies, hands down, period. Yeah, I it's would agree with that. It's in my top five. And it's funny because as a kid, when I found, I saw this one first, and when then I realized it was based on another movie, The Thing from Another World, 1951, I was like, what? And then it was like, wait, it's like a plant Frankenstein monster? Kankenstein. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the Thing from Another World is a solid fucking movie. It is really good. And you could see they pulled the best elements from it for the remake, but... The remake just does something so different and so fantastic with it. So we're going to get into it, but let's 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 take them one at a time. Rooms, where are we going to start here? Let's start with that Cronenberg Fly movie. All hail the new flesh. That's a different Cronenberg movie, but still, <laughs> there's always new flesh in a Cronenberg movie for sure. Oh hell yeah, Cronenberg loves him some fleshy movies. So this one stars Jeff Goldblum, uh, one of the coolest <laughs> nerds in Hollywood. I freaking love this movie. And compared to the original, it really holds on to a lot of the ideas and themes, but really vamped it up for the 80s. And I mean, this movie fucking rocks. You got uh, Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum, just like what a power couple at that moment. They were just so hot at the time. He's a scientist uh, and she's a reporter and they have this relationship going on. And basically the plot of The Fly is you have a scientist who created teleportation, right? And you got two pods, one across the room from the other, and you go in one and shoot the shoot the the you know whatever you have across. And the very quickly in the like the first fifteen minutes, Gina Davis, a reporter, meets Jeff Goldblum. He brings her back to his apartment and shows her these really cool looking sci-fi egg looking pods. And he demonstrates that if you put something in one, hit a couple buttons on a computer, it reassembles it in the other pod. He explains to her later that he can't do it with anything organic because the pod is doing, uh, it's essentially replicating something. And yeah. he does it with a stake and then he figures out the computer is just doing what it's telling him. He's got to add that crucial human element and he is able to somehow tippity tap that into the computer and he sends a baboon across and it comes out as a live baboon because he was doing it and it was coming out in. Uh, we called it Inside did, Out. Did you know I worked on the Fly the Opera? There was a Cronenberg Fly Opera that I what? worked on, and I made some of the puppets for it. And we called that uh, the Baboon Tartar when it comes across as just an Inside Out baboon. Yeah. So it's really cool. They do a great job setting up. You know that he is he is just into this. He's not ready to share it with the world yet because he needs to not only perfect the the technology, but also wants to understand its ramifications before he lets it loose on the world. Well, and this is basically very much of what the original is, too. It's a lot of... It, the original spends a lot of time in the setup and mm-hmm. not a lot of time in the... in the. There's no gore in the original, but they spend a lot of time in the setup of the scientist kind of getting trapped in his work and obsessed with the technology, and they really try to explain the shit out of it in the original. But the new one, they get past it pretty quick. Is the original one told non-linearly? Because the opening starts with like a part of like a mystery kind of thing. Is it told in flat? Because I haven't seen the original. Is it told no, in flashbacks? It, no. it starts with kind of that setup, 
goes into a flashback, stays there most of the time, and then at the okay. end sort of has the reveal. And it's pretty slow, but it's cool. And uh, you have, I mean, you do have Vincent Price as like the, the best friend, family mm-hmm. friend who shows up and is always being creepy in his own right. But, you know, it's it's a solid movie. And the end reveal is super cool because he keeps writing these letters that are like, hey, uh, don't bother me. I'm busy. Leave me alone. And it starts to get out of hand and they like force their way into the lab. And he's got the this like sheet over his head. And he doesn't want anybody to talk to him and he can't talk. And they show they has a pincher hand and like <laughs> like a fly hand. And then at the end, his wife pulls off the the sheet off his head and he's got the creepy fly face and he tries to attack her. It has one of the best endings and such a classic ending is afterwards the, the little boy goes outside. He's like, I found something. I found something. And Vincent Price and this dude go over and it's a spider web. And in the spider web, there's a fly that has half a human body melded with it. So it's the guy's face and arm and he's going, help me help me and this big spider's coming at him and he's like oh god help me and then they smash it with a rock but it's it's pretty gnarly dude (laughs) it sounds (laughs) awesome this movie i hadn't seen this movie i just rented it via amazon a couple days ago i watched the first couple scenes and then some shit came up i was like oh watch it tomorrow and then the shit expired so i'm gonna watch it tomorrow sadly i couldn't watch it now but from what the research I've done, what Rumi is saying sounds like that's exactly what the movie was. It opens fucking awesome. The first 15 minutes, I was hooked like a motherfucker. Yeah, it slows down big time because they really get into like, well, now I'm going to send a bottle of champagne through. Well, now I'm going to send a guinea pig through. And you're like, I get it. I get it. I get it. How about you just pop yourself right in there and let's get let's get to this party. And that happens in the, the new one, Jeff Goldblum says, you know, I got to make sure shit works. The second that baboon goes through, he's like, I'm going to do it myself. He gets, oh, he's trashed. He gets gets drunk because he has problems with Gina Davis and he sends himself through and he comes out. But when he goes in, something goes in with him and he doesn't know. A fly gets in with him. Yeah. There's a fly in the pod. He doesn't know it. And this this is the same premise of the original. Uh, A teleporter, a guy goes in a teleporter with a fly and the fly mixes up its genetic material with the scientist, and then he starts turning into a fly. And I think that's pretty genius that a movie... uh, When did the first one come out? 58. That in 1958, people were thinking about that shit. Like, oh shit, if if we do some teleportation and you have another critter in there, you could get mixed up. That's pretty genius, Right, your genes get assimilated. It didn't... The computer didn't... And he explains it later... uh, Jeff Goldblum at least explains it later in the movie that the computer didn't know to reassimilate Jeff Goldblum and the fly as separate things. It just mixed everything back together as best it could. And because... And he starts transforming. But he doesn't... Know, like, we... The audience know that that's coming, not only based on the title, but we see the fly go in. And when yeah. he's... Getting pulled apart and put back together, we see the computer analyzing the two different organisms' DNA. But when Jeff yeah. Goldblum comes out, he doesn't know. I guess there was no like record of what happened. He comes out like a Jim Cotta motherfucker. This guy he does. They show that he's like super strong. <laughs> he's doing gymnastics and like flipping around his apartment. Doing flips. He's like super like horny. Sexually as fuck. viral. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, oh yeah. Yeah, it's pretty sexy, but then he starts falling apart and it's pretty he looks he turns into like this sleazy coke addict later. Like his yeah, skin's he really falling does. apart. And the makeup is at it. fucking phenomenal. It won Incredible. an Academy Award, didn't it? Yes. Uh, no, it was Stefan Dupuy, who I've actually worked with a couple times. I mean, his fingernails are falling off. His There's skin fl- just looks, oh, it's so it, gross. It's definitely, take away that it's a classic story, that it's a good story, that it's well acted and well directed. 
It is an amazing practical special effects movie. On top of that, he delivers a Oscar. I think he got nominated for an Oscar for his acting in this makeup. Sure. When he starts, he's he's kind of thinking and reminiscing about what it meant to be human and what he's becoming now. And it's incredible performances. I mean, Gina Davis, you know, as he starts to get more fly-like, he first he starts to get really like super healthy. Then he starts to deteriorate very quickly. And as he deteriorates, more shit is happening. He's losing teeth. We see him pull teeth out of his own face. We see him pull fingernails off. Fingernails, gross. Once he starts to understand that it was the fly, he gives this whole lesson about how flies eat and flies can't eat things they throw Ugh. up acid on shit and uh, it's dissolve it and then suck that up so he gives a demonstration of that we get to see that multiple times oh man so good from a practical special effects point you have that you have some amazing makeups later on when he goes full fly and sheds the human form it's a great puppet a oh, little bit man. limited in its movement by the time 1986 but it looks amazing but they show you enough of it that you're freaking out. Like, it's twitchy and creepy, and it works. By that time, it's the end of the movie, and they've done so much to get you into the world. What about before he actually turns into a fly-fly, but when he's super athletic, but shit's starting to get weird? She, Gina Davis comes over his house, and he's on the ceiling. And he walks, in one continuous shot, he walks down the wall and onto the floor. So they had a rotating set, and it's beautiful to just watch him crawl down the wall and it's and just that had to have been a big set because sure. they're like in a warehouse yeah if sure in 1986 and that's just when you craft a movie man i mean that's the way to do it right yeah amazing so i have some notes i want to throw these at you because yeah, we're it. trying to keep it short but i got a couple funny ones i got one magic word to say to you cheeseburger <laughs> that's how he gets gina davis on a date uh which i thought was funny he takes her to his apartment he starts playing piano which he is an incredible pianist in real life he, he plays at the rockwell quite often and if mm. you guys are in la go see his show it's one of the best times but he's playing piano and she goes uh i'm getting out of here because she's like i'm here for science not for sex and he's like it's too late you've seen them i can't let you leave alive and he's joking but creepy dude real creepy which is really funny because later in the movie when he's flying it up he tells her, she comes to visit him and is like, please let me help you. And he's like, leave. And she's like, why? And he's like, because I might hurt you if you don't. And like, yeah. I've seen this movie at least two dozen times. Well, I watched it about a week, two weeks ago when he said that, like, and just now saying it again, the hair on my neck is standing up a little bit because that's a fucking creepy ass line. And like you said, he delivers it so good. When he says the cheeseburger line, you're like, this is an adorable nerd. You want this yeah. couple to succeed and you want him to succeed. And it really, the writing, the direction, the acting, by the time he starts deteriorating and now is threatening her life, you're like, fuck. Oh, man. One thing I think is funny is he sleeps on a pullout couch. And normally, if you're an adult man, a pullout couch is like basically uh, just keep would keep you from getting laid 100%. <laughs> but if you're a brilliant scientist, a pullout couch is a scientific equation to bone town. <laughs> Because, yeah, they, they fuck on this pull-out couch quite often. And I'm like, really? Really? That's usually reserved for, like, basements and, like, guys who don't have their shit together? Yeah, that's true. I, you're right. But, I mean, hey, if you got Jeff Goldblum's weird-looking charms. One of my few qualms with this movie is the guy who we end up sort of having to root for because Agree. he's a good guy is a piece of shit. Right. Her boss, who also used to be her teacher, creepy, they used to have a relationship. We're introduced by him. He's kind of a dick. He's her boss at the publishing house that they work at. She goes back to her apartment. And he's just taking a shower in her house. Right. And she it establishes like, 
hey, we used to be together, but we're not. She clearly yeah. does not want him here. She makes him give his key back, and he's just like a smarmy fucking bastard about it. And at the end, we're trying to, like, we're supposed to root for him because he's coming to save her, but fucking Stathis is a sleazebag. It is a weird thing, too, because we don't really need him. Like, if you think about him as a device, there are things that he does that help, but he didn't need to be the one doing them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because ultimately, she kills him. She kills the fly, right? She shoots the fly in the head. His head explodes. But, like, she does that. Well, they just needed somebody to get their arms melted off and feet melted off right. by the fly. <laughs> yeah. Fucking Jeff Goldblum cool. vomits all over him and burns him up. Oh, yeah. At the end of the movie, when when he's, when the fly finally full on fly throws Gina Davis in a pod, Stathis is on the ground like robocopping. He's like, ah, 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 <laughs> freaking out. The fly gets in the pod, but Gina Davis shoots the pod just as the teleportation happens. Because the fly is not fully in the pod. He's half in, half out. The door is still open. Yeah. So he melds with the pod and comes out all like metal and half metal. And this is my one qualm is I wish it was more of a blend and I wish we see it more because the first couple times I saw this as a kid, I didn't understand that that was what was happening. It it was weird. Yeah. And, and, and it is kind of, they hide it because it might not look the best and it is kind of a weird concept, but she walks up to with the shotgun, puts the shotgun up to its head he grabs the end of the shotgun, holds it there, and yeah. he's like, do it, basically. Fuck. She's preggers with Jeff Goldblum's baby, and she's afraid that... Oh, yeah. She's totally afraid that she's going to have like a weird mutant baby. So they go to this doctor, and she's like, uh, the baby might be deformed. And he's like, how do you know? And Stathis, who, you know, nice guy taking her to an abortion clinic, is like... The father's deformed. <laughs> it's like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Real tactful 1986. Good job. But then, so she's sitting there waiting to have an abortion. This movie really deals with some heavy subjects like abortion and being mutated and what Yay, it means to be Cronenberg. human. Freaking Brundlefly Kool-Aid man's through the wall of an abortion clinic <laughs> and steals Gina Davis. I'm like, whoa, oh yeah. And he steals her and says, you know, keep the baby, I love you. Like, that, yeah. he's not attacking her per se. He's trying to take her no. away from the abortion clinic, but... He tries to get her to save the baby, but he gets away and... Gets, starts acting real crazy. Flying it up. Yeah, he has moments where he's still lucid, and he's like, that's the last piece of me that could ever exist. Like, as our lo- as a symbol of our love, could you just keep the baby? And we never find out if the baby's a mutant or not. Did you know that there was a alternate ending? If they put the alternate ending in the middle of the movie. She no, no. has a dream. Yes, yes, yes. Go ahead, say she that. Has a dream, she has a dream sequence where she's having the baby, and it's a maggot, and right. it's real gross. No, there was another, like an alternate ending of, of their final confrontation, the climactic confrontation. What is it? Uh, so they were going to have this thing, but as great as the special effects were at the time, they couldn't get this one effect to pan out. And they wanted Gina Davis to take a gigantic rolled up newspaper and kind of <laughs> slip it <around> <laughs> You dick. You just couldn't get it to look right. <laughs> Dude, I got to tell you, I'm watching your face as I set that up, and it's my favorite thing to do with you is to start saying shit like that and see how long I could get into it. I'm like, uh-huh, okay. I'm oh, I haven't heard about that. Yeah, if you, it's got to listen to it on the commentary. They, they, I, it was a giant newspaper. I, I knew newspaper. that they did film the birth scene and then put it in the middle of the movie as a dream sequence, which is really cool. It's super gnarly. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's... Fucking damn good movie, man. Really, really good. Really good. If, you, if you have not seen either the original or the remake, definitely check them out. It is, I mean, today's a perfect day for it. If you got no plans, Halloween yeah. it up with the fly. 
And one more thing, the first person that they credit in the post movie sequence isn't the director, isn't the writer, it's Chris Wallace, the special effects guy. That's right. Because that made this movie. That's true. I didn't I actually didn't realize that. I just watched it too and I didn't realize that that credit came first. All right, let's move on to our next film, man. We're going to talk about The Blob. You going to put the song in right here? Yeah, I want to put the song in right here. Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor, right through the door and all around the wall. A splotch, a blotch, be careful of the blob. The original blob, that's how this movie starts out. And you're like, uh... Is this going to be a scary movie or a stupid movie? Like, yeah, are we singing about this on the beach in our bright colored surfboards and bikinis and bathing suits? I mean, this is 1958. It's a Steve McQueen movie, so it definitely has kind of a, like, leave it to beaver vibe, and then they all get attacked by a blob. It is funny, because it's not like the Steve McQueen you know from the other movies, because he's not Steve no. McQueenish. He's just kind of like, oh, da dope da do Oh, he's also like 39 playing a high schooler <laughs> yeah. in this movie. Like, he's older than some of the, like, parents in this film. It's hysterical. But I love this movie. I had this movie on VHS as a kid, and I watched it a lot, because I loved The Blob. This was a great movie. It is really, really great. Now, again, we're going back to 1958 here, and this is a 1950s movie for sure. It opens, we got this little... um, Meteorite falls. So old old guy in the woods in a cabin goes and out to check it out. That motherfucker went to the Prometheus School of Pokeology because yeah. it's, it's the quintessential like homeless guy with a dog poking at shit. But he pokes that out with a stick, and there's a lot of real great reverse photography where it goes mm-hmm. up the stick or down the stick onto his hand. Uh, he's screaming, he's screaming, <laughs> and um, Steve McQueen making out with some chick decides to go. He sees the meteorite fly by yeah and he goes to find it and he finds this old guy instead with some goop on his hand and they're going to help him they take him to the hospital yeah to the hospital right they bring him to the hospital they they drop him off they're like we found this fucking old guy he's got this shit on his hand and it's got this (laughs) big goop on his hand it looks like rubber just big blob of like remember when you did rubber cement in school and you'd rub the ball between your fingers it looks like he took like four gallons of it and just rolled it around his hand to make a cotton candy rubber cement hand right uh, but again, it looks. I'm not shitting on it. It looks good for 1958 for sure. Later in that scene, they pull off the sheet and his arm has turned into a gelatinous mess. Right. Like it's dissolving and, that looks, and there's like veins when, in there. It's funny because like it creeps, it leaps and glides across the floor and right through the door. Like also melts a transient's hand right into his <laughs> So the doctor is like, shit, what's going on with this blob? And Steve McQueen's like, I don't know. We found it. And he sends Steve McQueen to go do something. I forget if it was to go to the media or go get somebody. Probably get the sheriff. Yeah. Steve McQueen jumps in his car with this girl, hits a stoplight, and all of his cool friends pull up. And they're like, let's drag race. He's like, I can't. This fucking transient guy's got his hand stuck in a blob. And they're like, oh, what are you afraid? Steve McQueen's like, no. Let's do it backwards. Ready, set, go. And they have this backwards drag race. And you're like, yeah, a man's hand is melting right now. And you were specifically sent by a doctor at a hospital. Go do something. Now you're just yeah. fucking around with your friends. Like if there isn't one thing that describes the kooky 50s, it's that that little part of this where, again, you're like, wait a minute. Are we supposed to be scared or worried or are we just having a good time right now? You can't tell. And this is very much a movie of I mean, this is like a quintessential drive in movie. It's exactly what it is, right? And it, you could tell that like kids of that age, like like uh, uh, you know, drive-in kids, must have fucking loved this, right? So yeah. they 
what are some of the other highlights of, of this film, right? There's, I, I gotta mean, say, the, the original has has two huge sequences for me, and I think the most notable one is the movie theater, movie theater. sequence. Yep. And there's, again, a lot of reverse photography. You could tell they just had some jam or some type of shit, and it's a lot of, like, I believe they pushed it through grates and stuff like that, so it's just pressure mm-hmm. applied from one side, and it's oozing out. There's a lot of like a lot of miniature pieces, a too. lot of miniature set pieces. And it's like the blob, whatever the blob was actually made of is like rolling a little bit. So you see it like flop over once and then it cuts and then it cuts back and it flops over again. So, yeah, but like really it's, it's a testament again, just like what we're talking about with the remake of the fly. It's a testament of what they were trying to do at the time, right? Yeah. We got to get this blob to roll down the, the aisles of a movie theater. How do we do that? And they did a really fucking good job for 1958. Well, and it's cool because they built the miniature, they roll this jelly through it, and you have people screaming and running out the doors. And and, and it, it's great. And then the end, the big climax is it goes all over a giant... Diner. Like, diner, and they have people, to figure the, out what the, to Steve do. Steve McQueen and other people are now trapped in the basement of the diner, and the blob... The, it, it makes it pretty clear that when the blob eats, it gets a little bit bigger. Its mass increases, yeah. right? So they, have, they show people, people like shooting it with bullets and it'll get bigger every time you shoot it, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger every time you shoot it with a bullet, which is interesting. But the remake of this like pulled all the stops out, dude. This is even better than the fly, I would say. And I just watched the remake of the blob the other night. Even better than the remake of the fly. This is a movie that was like, all right, what did the original do? What was that about? How can we improve upon that idea right now? And I feel like a lot of times remakes are just made to remake something. Nobody's trying yeah. to say, how can I tell this story better? And I don't want to say that the new blob is better than the old blob, but the new blob is definitely better than the old blob. That's Fuck. so fucking good. And it's got Chuck Russell directed it. He did uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors, which is like my fucking favorite. And he did The Mask, which is also a fun movie to make mm-hmm. fun of. When he did The Blob, it's co-written by Frank Darabont and... It's it's so amazing. And one of my favorite parts is you still have the same characters. You have like a Steve McQueen character. You have the young girl character. They've uh, added this young character who's like a greaser bad boy played by uh, the Johnny Drama guy. What's his name? Kevin Dillon. Kevin Dillon. Love him in this movie. They have the balls to straight up kill the Steve McQueen character in the first like 20 minutes first of the act, movie. Yeah. So it, it yeah. opens very similar where, you know, there's a couple kids well, I mean, this movie does a little bit better job of establishing the characters before shit starts going down. A meteorite comes down, hits the ground. Old man comes up, Prometheus School of Poka Poka Poka. Same old man with the dog, yeah. Poke, poke, poke. He poke, poke, poke is it. It immediately lurches up his arm. Again, almost the same exact effect, almost the same exact shots. Reverse photography comes up, starts fucking his arm up. Kevin Dillon comes upon him and tries to help him out. They run out into the road and... The Steve McQueen character and the girl, the you know, and the girl is the crazy girl from The Stand who just wants to have yeah. sex with uh, Def Rob Lowe. She does a great job in this and she's really cute, except her eyes are asymmetrical. Sorry. I know you're listening, girl from those two movies. But they almost, <laughs> they, they either almost hit or kind of bump into the old guy as he's, you know, screaming, running away, and they bring him to the hospital. And Kevin Dillon comes along because he's like, I'm not letting you tell the cops it was me. Right. And it's one of those Which is like, cool. okay, I allow yeah. this. And, and it's, you got, you have three different people in the car. Now you have two people on a first date and now Kevin Dillon, right? And there's and Kevin Dillon is almost like guy. Uh, oh yeah. Homeless guy too. And Kevin <laughs> Dillon <laughs> and Kevin Dillon, um, 
he does a great job because he's like the town bad boy. Like it's established yeah. that everybody Everyone knows, knows him that and doesn't like him. Yeah, his family sucks. Everybody bashes on his family. Um, he kind of has this Steve McQueen reference though because he's always tinkering with his bike, bike. Trying, to do, trying to do this jump on his motorbike mm-hmm. and that's such a reference to Steve McQueen in The Great Escape when he's jumping shit with the motorbike. Sure, sure. He, they get to the hospital and this is when the movie kicks it into full gear and does Ooh. not let up. So they're in the hospital and they're like, look, we found this fucking old guy. He's got this shit on his hand. There's an amazing moment where they put the old guy in the wheelchair and the orderly's about to walk him away. And Kevin Dillon's like, listen, old timer, you're going to be all right. You hang in there. And I was like, damn, you're humanizing the shit. With that one line, and he delivers it so well, they humanize the shit out of that character. It's not, he's not made a paper anymore. I now want this, like, I now want this guy to succeed in whatever he's going to do in the movie, right? And the girl sees it. The girl sees him say that. Yeah. Um, they wheel grandpa away and he goes away and then they're waiting. They're filling out some forms. The Steve McQueen character goes to get the girl a soda because this is their first date. Right. And he's yeah. like, sorry about this first date. She's like, I wouldn't have it any other way. This is, you know, it's, it's entertaining. He goes back there, sees the old man melting. And as yeah. he sees the old man melting, I, I believe as he walks in, the blob rolls up the door behind him and yeah, drops on shot. him. And then it, is just devouring him. It's this great scene of him trying to escape by pushing through the blob and the blob is like literally sucking and burning his skin away. It's fucking fantastic. And you're like, wait, you're killing one of the main characters that we just got introduced to? Right off the bat. And she runs in and I'll let you take this. The girlfriend runs in. Oh my God. And his arms are reaching out as he's being covered and it's like pulling at his face and he's, he can't, you know, he can't breathe. It's over his face, but his hands stick out. She grabs onto his hand to try and help him and it becomes detached and she falls to the floor with a disembodied hand that's still twitching. And you see his face just melt into this horrifying scream. His eyeballs melt out of his head. His like just, just completely dissolves inside the blob and it is spectacular. I mean, it looks beautiful and it, you want to think, like, when that happens, you watch a movie like that, you're like, oh, man, they spent their budget on that. No, there's so nope. much more shit that happens. So um, what are your, some of your favorite kills after this, Rumi? What are some of your favorites? Fuck, man. I can't, I can't even. There's so many. The movie theater, the entire movie theater scene is amazing because it takes the same scene from the first one and just amps it the fuck up. And I, I love the two little kids in it are sneaking into this movie theater to see what is it like Toolshed Massacre yeah, 7 yeah, yeah, or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I love those kids banter. They're a lot of fun. Yeah, the movie theater scene is incredible. The blob eventually it kills the guy who's running the projector and then it forces oh. its way through the projector window and is yeah. like taking people. It goes to the ceiling first and tentacles come down and suck a guy up and when yeah. the when it the camera looks up to show him, he's plastered to the ceiling, melting, screaming, and it looks fucking amazing. Awesome. It's fantastic. What's uh what's a good kill for you? My favorite one is the phone booth kill, man. This this uh. this chick who you like, she's a good character throughout the whole movie. Um, she's trying to find the sheriff, and she's like, Where's the sheriff? Where's the sheriff? And she's running around looking for him, and she runs out to this phone booth, and then the blob gets all over the phone booth. And she's making, she's trying to make the phone call. The phone call get phone gets cut. She's looking it, completely covered in blob. She can't get out. She's screwed. And then all of a sudden, the sheriff's face floats out of the distance up to the window. And you're like, oh fuck! And then just the pressure of the blob crushes the phone booth. And this shot is incredible because it's from above, like a uh, 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 a bird's eye view looking down into the phone booth. And the blob just goes 
boom and her feet just i mean she just is crushed and it's such a violent dynamic shot and it is so gnarly that's probably next to the steve mcqueen kid getting killed the boyfriend getting killed early on her death is phenomenal. That's a real good one. I got to say, this is, um, I don't think we said it yet. This is the remake is 1988. Another yeah. great kill is the two kids and the main girl are running through and swimming through the sewers, trying to get away from the blob. And there's one kid that is her brother. And there's another kid that is like the cool special effects horror movie kid who loves horror movies. Yeah. And he's the one that wanted to go on this horror movie thing, blah, blah, blah. And they're, uh, they're swimming through like chest deep water, trying to get away from the blob. And as they're doing that, the fucking special effects horror kid gets pulled under. And you're like, are they going to kill this kid? He lurches back out, Jason Voorhees style, melting all over the place, and then gets pulled back down. You're like, they just fucking killed Billy or whatever They just fucking killed this kid, yeah. And this movie really amplifies up the intensity of it. I mean, the original one has tanks and army guys showing up, but this has like full on, we're going to nuke the town lockdown mode like everybody in the hazmat suits all these scientists are like locking the place down they're willing to destroy the town to protect this blob from getting out and they kind of reveal that it's like alien technology trying to be turned into a bioweapon and it's interesting because i actually met and talked with one of the guys who worked on the technology in this movie i talked to christopher gilman who is actually on the special effects and props team he made the meteorite, which is really like a satellite kind of containment device for the blob. Uh, he did a bunch of other things related to the movie. And we're not going to put that here now because I talked to this guy about not only the blob, but like a thousand other things that he did. He's an amazing, amazing, amazing artist. He's worked on a ton of films. We're going to do uh, an interview with him later, but just keep it tuned here to listen to more about how some of the things in the blob were made. Yeah, I love this movie. I mean, there's another great kill. There's a sleazy high school student yep. who has like a bar in his trunk. <laughs> the and he, he's totally he's awesome. Oh, he's totally date raping this chick. It's awful. Like you hate this guy. And he gets back in the car after putting roofies in her drink because he's such a slime ball. You hate this guy. And he sees this chick's already passed out or so he thinks. And he goes into cop a feel and you're like, oh, no, I hope this guy gets killed good. And sure enough, he reaches his hand down this girl's shirt and the blob comes out and her whole body deflates and like blob comes out of her eyes, nose, mouth and just kills this kid in the car. Like the car just fills up with blob and the kid's dead. And you're like, too bad she had to die for that. Yeah. But <laughs> all the, like, maybe she was kid. a bad person too. Not because of that. I'm not victim blaming, but maybe she did some shit before. Like maybe she had a Oh yeah. Pet. Maybe she kicked a She's puppy. A murderer, yeah. Child killer. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Because otherwise I feel bad for her. All the army type guys have on those hazmat suits, like outbreak mm-hmm. hazmat suits with lights inside the face so you can see their face. There's another guy who gets killed. The, the suit gets contaminated and his whole fucking suit fills with the blob. His face fills with, uh, like the face shield fills with blob. It's just fucking fantastic. Great shots. So how do they defeat the blob in this movie? It's pretty spectacular. They get, um, long story short, they get a giant truck of like liquid nitrogen type stuff, crash it near the blob and end up blowing that up right next to the blob, which crystallizes the whole thing. Now, it's pretty funny because this ending is a little bit different than the original. This ending, they say, oh, we better get this to the warehouse to keep it cool before sunup. And it ends there, except a preacher who was shown in the earlier film as just a regular preacher guy. At one point, the preacher picks up a small frozen piece of the blob that was left over in a walk-in freezer, and he puts it in like a little glass jar. At yep. the end of the movie, he's fire and brimstone pre- preaching 
in a tent, and at the end of that, he takes off, or we see a reveal, and his face is all melted because he got touched by the blob earlier. And he's looking in the mirror at his melted ass face and his his milky eye, and someone walks up and goes, Preacher, when's the end times coming? And he says, Soon, my dear, soon, or some shit. And he holds up the the little glass jar of the blob, and he's like, I'm just waiting for God to send me a sign. I'm like, Wait, why would you end it that? Like, what a weird way to end it, because it has nothing to do with the blob. Now, like, Preacher is weird? Yeah, what? but he has blob. I mean, I think it's a good setup, but it's weird. Uh, it's a good setup. It just has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. Like, he's not established as a weird end times guy the whole movie. Like, it has nothing no, to do with he, anything. Yeah, he was just kind of a drunk, annoying guy in the but movie. Like, I'll take it, and it's awesome. Sure. But it does differ from how the original ended, right, Rooms? How did the it, original end? I mean, basically, in a similar way, they freeze the blob, and he gets smaller and smaller with the cold. And they get him off of the diner and Steve McQueen's okay and everybody's happy, but they put the blob in this container and they go and dump his ass in the Arctic, which again, that's a great setup. Like that's a perfect setup sure. for a sequel and we never really gotten a good blob sequel. They made Son of Blob. Don't, don't watch that movie. Just oh, don't even. I've seen it. What year is that? Oh, that's an original. That's the, the no, a sequel no. to the original. That's like, the new one. So in the original, there's about seven minutes of blob. In Son of Blob, there's like one minute of blob. And it's the same reuse shot. Like it's don't don't ever just Does don't watch it. Does he have like it. a human son who just has a normal life, and that's no, what the movie's it's about? Just, it's <laughs> it's not even funny. It's not even worth making fun of. Like it's an awful. Are you telling me that the son of Blob doesn't creep or leap or glide or slide across the floor right through the door and all <laughs> around the wall? It gets under the door a little bit. A is little a, bit. Is it a splotch? A blotch? <laughs> this is the lyrics to that fucking song. The last words of that song are. Be careful of the blob, which just makes it sound like it's like very warm. Like it's a like it's almost like they're serving you your fajitas on a blob. Like, oh, be careful. The blob is hot. The blob is hot. Be careful. <laughs> Don't Caution. touch it. Just be Cuidado. careful. It's not fucking melting people's hands completely <laughs> off. <laughs> just, just be careful. Just just, you know, that restaurant would have about like three days before they had to go under because they're like, uh, hey, careful. Here's your burrito. It's served on the blob. Blob's very gross. So be careful. And then like just suddenly they come back and the guy's like just melted in half and like, oh, you didn't even touch your burrito. <laughs> Um, so yeah, they freeze him and dump him in the Arctic and that's kind of the end. But I, I love, both these movies are great, but the remake is just one of my favorite movies to watch. Um, it is good. Such and good effects. Again, if you haven't seen it, it's a great, it's a it's a fun ride. It's a great movie and it is like the effects are just fucking unreal. Solid 80s flick. I mean, this one's phenomenal. I think it'd be really, really cool. I, I think it'd be cool to remake this movie again because I think we, we could see some really cool stuff. But here's the thing. What makes it so good is the practical effects. And it's like, I'm not saying you can't have some CGI moments, but like, don't make a CGI blob movie. It wouldn't be impressive. When you watch this 80s remake of the blob and you realize all of this is real and they made it is so impressive. Yeah, I agree. But the end of the original, they leave the blob in the Arctic. And I think that's a good segue to our last film. Uh, all right, go ahead. Take it away. So the last film we're talking about is possibly one of my favorite films of all time. John Carpenter's The Thing, which takes place in, place in an Arctic research station. I wonder how close this Arctic research station is to where they hid the blob. Like, <laughs> is that, were they like 20 feet? Like if they had just gone like 30 feet this way, they would have had a blob movie instead of an alien movie. I think that's what those, those Norwegians were doing. They were yeah, dropping right? that there. They had some blob shit and they were like, oh, let's go drop it in the blob pond. <laughs> so this movie in 1982 directed by john carpenter it's a remake of the thing from another world a 1951 directed by 
Christian. Oh, who? What? What's his name? Christian scientist. C- directed by Christian Nyby and Howard Hawks. I don't know who those guys are, but. Well, Howard Hawks is a big guy. Yeah, he's a big guy. But the original, The Thing from Another World, like you mentioned earlier, it, it's kind of a weird movie because it's more of a physical creature. It's a big, bulky, big forehead blue guy. Kind of looks like Kankenstein. Uh, he's got like little spikes on his knuckles like he was in a Sonic video game and he just smashes through shit and they set him on fire and you know it's just kind of an assault movie like they're trying to board up and he's just bashing through and it, it does a really great job of setting up a tone it does a really great job of of playing up just like the remake does of the isolation of the location the fact that they are way the fuck out there they're by themselves they're not going to get any help and they're being menaced really with nothing to do they keep boarding up and locking doors the thing keeps breaking through it's revealed that this thing is plant-based it's an it's definitely an extraterrestrial but it's plant-based um yeah I got, we didn't even set up the movie i guess if people haven't seen it it's a bunch of researchers out in this outpost uh there's a reporter there in the original and in, in um the thing from another world and they find what they think is a an alien spaceship under the ice they see an airfoil sticking out so they place all these thermite charges to try to blow up the ice and they blow up the ship. So now they don't have a ship anymore. So they're like, oh, shit, we're stupid because it's 1951. And then they check the Geiger counter and the Geiger counter is still picking up a reading and they see a shape of a, of a you know, a creature or a humanoid, a humanoid shape in the ice. So they cut that out. They're like, no more fucking thermite charges, you idiots. They cut that out and bring the frozen form back to the base where it accidentally it's like a, thaws. It's like a big sarcophagus block. Yeah. Right. And it thaws it, and then it starts attacking people. It attacks the dogs. It's almost, it's, it's, it really is very Frankenstein in theme and in, in, in images. There's a lot of like him out in the snow wrestling and fighting with some dogs, killing some dogs. They realize that the, the thing is draining the dog's um, blood and drinking their blood. The, during the dog fight, I think, or they lo- the thing loses an arm. They take the thing's arm and find that it has seeds inside. They plant the seeds, they quickly grow, and they respond to human blood and plasma. So now they're like, oh shit, this is like an alien plant monster that drinks blood. And all the while they're figuring this shit out, the thing keeps trying to attack them. Pretty cool. I mean, I dug this movie a lot as a kid. I I rented it quite often from the video store and watched it, and it was... I loved it because this dude was on fire for a good chunk of the movie. They keep lighting him on fire and he's just busting through doors and it it's pretty intense. Like I, I liked all that barricading breakdown and you know, the monster's pretty cool, but you know, then John Carpenter's like, I'm going to remake this shit. It's completely different, but in such a good way, in such a genius way. I think the remake is one of the best films. If you're trying to study how to create tension and mm-hmm. how to create mistrust and how to create like a strange feeling of foreboding in a movie. This is it. Well, the main difference between the first, the original The Thing from Another World, 1951, and the new one, 1982, John Carpenter's The Thing, is John Carpenter's The Thing is a shapeshifter. It imitates life. So when it kills you or takes you over, it imitates you. So it adds to that scariness and isolation and suspense that the first one had that this one, 1982, definitely does have by... By upping the ante that you have a group of men and now one, if not more of them, is a killer thing. And you don't know who it is. And not only is Such that, a great setup. It is the best, in my opinion, the best demonstration of the human threat. You know, a lot of times in a horror movie, Stephen King is great for this, where you have whatever the, the outside threat is, whether it's an alien or a monster or a killer or whatever. 
But then right. someone in the human group is also the threat. And in this, you don't know who's who. So everybody's blaming everybody else. Everybody's pointing fingers. Well, I didn't see you before. Where did you come from? When were you when this happened? And you don't know as the audience, you don't know what the fuck to believe, which is, I think yeah. it's just masterful. Even so the cool. main character, you have Kurt Russell as the, a, a great leading man character. Really, for most of the movie, you're not sure if he is a thing or not. Like, he's just as susceptible to the rest of them. As with all these movies, all these remakes, the 80s is just such a high point for practical effects and amazing makeups and puppets and creatures and goo. And this movie is one of the best. The monsters are like tentacle blood monsters. Like one of the first times we see it is they, the, we're introduced because this dog is running, being chased by guys in a helicopter, shooting at the dog. And the dog gets to the research station and they fight the guys who are shooting at the dog because they don't know what's up. So they kill these guys. They're like, wow, we don't know why these guys are acting crazy. So they put the dog in with the other dogs. And later that night... They hear the dogs freaking out and they go in there and this dog is turned into a tentacle monster and is like killing all the other dogs, but also turning into a dog. And it's insane, insanely cool. So then they go investigate what these Norwegians who were chasing this dog were up to and they go there and this place is torn to shit. Knock, and they knock, tried Sweden. To They're Norwegian, Mac. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Mac keeps calling them Swedes. <laughs> They're Norwegian, Mac. <laughs> They're Norwegian. And like they go to their, their base and they see it's all fucked to hell and some shit went down. They tried to show what happened in the 2011 remake, but thumbs down to that movie. I mean, it's not terrible, but it was just like not it's successful not bad. You know, either. It didn't hurt me, but it was just unnecessary no. is how I felt. No, no. It's not like Prometheus. I don't get angry about right. that movie. I was just like, well, you basically treaded the same footprint as right. the original and when with, you had a chance to be different and with digital effects that was their their difference and i was like uh that is a market decline in the quality of the movie you didn't do anything Seriously, except like, make it a watered down version whoever was producing that movie was like yeah hey, yeah we need some aliens but they got to look slick right and they're like no no actually the original is a staple of practical and it should remain that way and they're like mm, okay well we're just gonna put some cg on top of it to make it slick right <laughs> and like no that's nobody wants that dude no like literally nobody goes to see the thing for digital effect like the whole point of it is like this hallmark of practical gore and practical monsters and whoever remade it just didn't get it at all whoever you are i know you're listening you fucked up royal bro like <laughs> i just hang your head in shame and think of all the things that could have been i won't say you fucked up more royal but you missed the point of the movie but anyway that's not the remake we're talking about yeah so this this john carpenter remake i mean they go there, they find all this fucked up shit, they realize that they had captured a creature in a block of ice, it had escaped, and started just assimilating everybody. And, oh man, this movie has so many great moments, man. What? So, let's just go down a couple of them. What's one, what's one of the ones that comes straight to your mind right okay, away? Okay, the biggest part is, is there's, one of the guys starts to have, there, there's a fight, and there are two, a couple guys blaming who's the thing. You're the thing, I'm the thing, yeah. he's the thing. One guy starts having a heart attack. They bring him into the lab. They put him up on the table. The doctor's doing chest compressions while everyone's running around. He does a couple chest compressions and then pushes his arms to do another chest compression. And the guy's chest opens up like a giant mouth and bites his arms off. The guy's oh. chest. And he falls to the ground screaming with his arms bleeding. The guy on the table starts you know, like becoming a, a monster. With teeth. Like his, his chest, chest opens his up. His entire teeth. chest. And Tongues, it's tentacles. It's not shied away from. They show the shit out of it. They start blasting it with flamethrowers. 
the guy's on the table's head starts to elongate. His neck elongates and his head falls off the side of the table, stretching. And it's making the worst noise Ah. ever. And as he screams, like it gets a higher pitch as his vocal cords rip apart. Starts to rip and then the head hits the floor. The head hits the floor grows spider legs and these like big long crab stalk eyes you gotta be get, fucking kidding me gets yeah gets up starts to walk away tries to get away and kurt russell sees it and then says that kills it but like that whole sequence you're like what the fuck like but you're missing the other part of it out of the mouth of teeth and shit while they're lighting it up spider legs oh. come out of it Grab onto the, the ceiling. ceiling and pull itself out, and it's like this tentacle head, long extended head, kind of like the thing from uh, the abyss. It's this long, meaty neck with a with his head on the, the end of the it, mo- but with the guy spiky who teeth. Was a monster a yeah. second ago it was trying to replicate that guy, and it's just oh. you could tell that that's one of those moments where, in a movie it's, where, like, when you're reading the script, you're like, oh, well, that's going to be hard to do. We're going to have to change that to be. It's like. They didn't change shit. They shot exactly what that was. And it it comes out of nowhere. Like a lot of times in a horror movie, you know, you have that moment where they're about to open the door. And when they do it slowly, it builds the tension. They grab the knob and turn it and open it and it scares you. This is one of those like, I don't care if you're ready or not, boo. And it it's scary as shit and it's super effective. And you had no clue it was coming. You had no clue that it was coming. They didn't give you any hint to who the monster was, and they just keep hitting you, hitting you. Like, if that scene was just giant teeth and it rips this guy's arm off, you would have been like, damn, that's impressive. But then his head pops off and turns into a spider, and a giant, like, stalk creature comes out of his stomach. Yeah. Like, I mean, insane. Give us another, give us another hot moment from this movie. Oh, man. So, so many. Th- this part is one of the best scenes, and it's so tense. So, they have everybody tied to couches except for. Kurt Russell, and he's got a flamethrower, and he has their blood. He draws their blood and puts it on the table in these Petri dishes, and he heats up a piece of wire, and he's like, if you are the thing, your blood will react to this. And so one by one, he's putting the hot wire into the Petri dish of their blood. Talk about a tense scene. I mean, this, like you said, it is a study of how to keep your audience on the edge of their seat. And... And of course, you have no idea what's going to happen. And as they find out who's a, who's not a thing, because you know the first one fizzles, nothing happens. He lets that guy out, and so yeah, everyone else is tied to a couch. So they're down to like three guys, and they get to one, and he puts the wire in, and it explodes into this like sinewy, gross muscle, shoots up to the ceiling, and like you don't expect it to be that big of a reaction, and it's like, whoa, and everybody freaks out about this, but at the same time, that guy who's tied to the couch starts going, he's shaking, rumbling the couch, his head starts getting all weird, his eyes are falling out, he's bleeding, his head turns into like a Venus flytrap snapper thing and just starts eating the guy next to him, like lifting him up into the air, eating him from the head. And it's, it's slamming him into the ceiling. The guy he's yeah. eating kicks the light out. And it's and then Ugh. so you have that. Kurt, It's actually the guy he eats is Childs, the guy who got tested first and was clear. He had a flamethrower on so did kurt yeah. russell kurt russell's flamethrower jams so kurt russell can't stop this the guys the monster's eating the other guy two men are still trapped to the couch ah let me out let me out, let me out. Screaming. smashing it's shit so around good. 
Finally, Kurt Russell grabs the other fire extinguisher from the dead guy, from the now dead guy, burns it. The creature bursts through the wall again, cool man, cool Kool Aid man style. Bursts Ooh, through the yeah. wall, falls into the snow, and burns to death. Right? Whew. So now, so good. The fucking there's a hole in the wall. He tests the last guy, and then the last, uh, the, the second to last guy is Keith David, and then the old captain guy with his huge eyebrows. He's the last yeah. guy on the couch. So now it's Keith David and Kurt Russell, and they test this last guy. Comes out clean. And the old man says, I know you gentlemen have had a very long night, but if you don't mind, I don't want to spend the rest of my life tied to this fucking couch. And it's amazing because <laughs> he, he starts off so like, gentlemen, and like, I'm your leader and is tied yep. to this fucking couch it's a it's amazing and it it's the best way to end that scene right um i just saw a meme this week someone said i'm having a halloween party and we're watching john carpenter movies so i made jello shots and the jello shots were all red in petri dishes i was like oh Oh, how fucking cool cool. is that i don't Um, know whose idea originally that was but that's a great idea one of my other favorite moments of this movie is they catch a guy mid transformation. Like he's kind of in the snow. They're like, Hey, are you okay? Like you got lost. Like, what are you doing? Are you okay? And he turns around with this weird look on his face and he holds up his hand and it's all fucking gnarly and deformed. And he just howls. And that is one of the most haunting moments in that movie. I agree. Already in a movie full of creepy moments, that one's like, oh my God, he looks like their buddy and they just torture and him. They and they just surround him in the snow, yeah. they surround him and they light yeah. a flare. And in the flare, you see it's the guy and he turns and he looks uh, weird, but he looks regular. Uh, so creepy. Amazing. Wilford Brimley. What about Wilford Brimley? Uh, Wilford uh, Brimley goes crazy because he, he does a simulation. So just like the in the original movie, in the 51 version, they find out that these plants will take over the world. These plant monsters will take over the world by eating, you know, killing people and eating human blood. In this movie, Wilford Brimley does a computer simulation and finds out that this creature will assimilate humans and, you know, the entire world will be, con- you know, consumed by this creature in however many days or however many weeks or whatever. So he goes crazy and starts trying to kill people, being like, we can't... Because essentially he's like, we all got to stay here. I got to kill you all. They subdue him and put him out in this shed. And they make him stay there. The next time they go check on him, Kurt Russell opens the window and he's sitting, Wilford Brimley is sitting at a table with a noose hanging over him. And he's like, I'm a lot better now and I'd like to come back inside. Yeah, so creepy (laughs) with the noose hanging Uh, behind him. And he says, I'm not going to hurt myself. I'm not going to hurt anybody else. I was was sick before, but I'm better now. I'd like to come back inside. (laughs) And the end has a pretty great climactic scene where they kill the thing with... It's like stop motion. They kill it with dynamite. Honestly, though, like after this movie has hit you so many times, the end is kind of the weakest moment for me. I agree because they've done so like the stop motion and then they do do some full full size practical creature stuff. It looks great. But I think again, well, I think it was limited a little bit by what they were able to do with both the they stop motion and the They were running out of creature. money and time at this point. But, I do know that that's a factor. And it looks good and it looks good for 1980. It looks great for 1982. Looks great. But this thing just kind of pops out of a hole and Kurt Russell's the only one left. We didn't see Keith David die. We saw Keith David run into something and we think he gets blown up. Kurt Russell throws dynamite at the creature, runs away, and the whole base essentially blows up. And then, you know, so that's it's it, it, it's climactic, but this the other scenes that we've mentioned, I think, are bigger scenes. And, and I think they're just better put together. Like this one felt like they could only do so much, so they wrapped it up. Exactly. So you get 
the the whole pretty much the whole base explodes. Kurt yep. Russell survives, leans Drinking, against yeah, yeah dr- taking a drink, leans against a uh, like you know a, a part of the structure that's like still burning a little bit, and Keith David walks up, and they're talking to each other, and it's it's this moment, and they don't know who's the they 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 don't know who could be who at this point. We don't know who could be who. We don't know, and he goes, "You think we're gonna make it?" And Keith David goes, "Maybe we shouldn't." And they laugh and just share a bottle, and that's the that's the end of the movie. People have dissected this movie, and they say they know at the end that one of them is the thing because of a blue light that's shined in the eyes. Right, right, right. Eh, I don't care. It doesn't matter. You don't need to know who. It's creepy enough. It it is a great it is a great 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 ending. And there's yeah there's a ton of stuff where they say you know oh yeah I noticed this or I noticed this or I noticed that. But there's there's so many <laughs> there's so many fan theories and shit. But it is just so goddamn cool. It is a great movie. That's one of those movies, dude. No joke. If it's on, I'm sitting down and watching. If I'm flipping through the channels and it's on, I'm watching it. There's no Ugh. such thing as seeing that movie too many times. And it, it is, like you said, I think it's one of my favorite, at least my heart, favorite horror effects movies, but it's a strong film and it is the best remake I've ever seen because it just amps everything up. It's incredible. And I think, I think it's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's so good. But yeah, the 80s were just such a great time or remaking movies from the 50s. The technology was there. And I don't know why we... What have we lost? Like, we have the technology to do it better, but instead they're just focusing on one aspect of the technology instead of using all aspects of the technology from that point. They're not adding on to what we learned from the 80s. They're just switching to computers. You know what I think it is, though? I think it goes further than that. I think it's a matter of storytelling because I feel that these movies that we talked about today new filmmakers or newer filmmakers at the time said, I want to tell that story my way and I'm going to make it better, ostensibly at least, by this. I'm going to make it this. Like, you know, John Carpenter's is a great example because he said, the thing from another world is great. I'm going to go back to The Roots, which was a book called Who Goes There, or at least a story called Who Goes There. And I'm going to play up the fact that we don't know who the creature is, which is the exact opposite of what the original thing was. He made that decision and then told a bitchin' story. Same with the people that did the blob. Same with the people that did the fly. I think now they're just like, well, that movie was good. I'm going to do it again because that movie was good. And it's like, yeah, but you're either not like, what did you do different? Nothing. Okay. Then why did you do it? What did you do yeah, different? They're not Something stupid. Re- remember when they made a shot for shot remake of Psycho? Psycho? It was like, yeah. it was like, why? You didn't and, bring anything new to it. And it's not a color? bad movie per se, but like, why but, make a shot for shot remake? Like, what did that do? And like, like I said, we got another pseudo remake of The Thing, but what did you bring to it? You basically just retreaded it, but with CGI? Like that, that doesn't, honestly, the CGI, no matter how good it is, isn't bringing anything new to the table. You're able to show new things, but you're not elevating it in a way that I haven't seen before because I've seen all the CGI before, all of it. That's true. And that makes a lot of sense because- just changing the CGI, even if you just make the effects better, that doesn't really justify making the movie better. Now, we said the blob was great and the effects were better. And we said the thing was great and the fly was great because the effects were better. But that's not why it was better. It was better because yes. it was a bitchin' story. They all had, had better effects. stories and better characters and a more thought out reason for why everything was happening. And the effects are just this amazing icing on the cake. Yeah. So if you're going to remake a movie, make it good. That's essentially what we're saying, right? Make it good. Have a reason to remake it. 
There's no need to remake any of these movies unless Un- you have a different story to tell. Untrue. I would remake Cronenberg's The Fly the exact same way, but I would just have that. That's where CG could come in. CG that giant newspaper at the end. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing it so, was missing. The 80s was such a great time for remakes, and I have a list here, and we'll go through them pretty quick. We're getting, getting low on time, but I'll, I'll go through quick. So here's some other great 80s remakes that were made during this time. We have Frank Oz's Little Shop of Horrors, which is a remake of The Little Shop of Horrors from 1960, directed by Roger Corman. Now, did you ever see this original Roger Corman Little no. Shop of Horrors? Jack, ne- Jack Nicholson? Jack Nicholson is in it, and he plays the part that Bill Murray reprises in the musical remake of 1986. Oh, Awesome. How cool is that? That is yeah. super cool. He's the sadist who goes to the dentist and is like, hurt me, motherfucker. Yeah. He loves it. Loves the pain of the dentist. It's super creepy. It's a weird movie. So that one's really good. I actually really like the remake. It's a fun musical. Great effect. Again, great practical effects. Yeah, the remake is great. I love the remake. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Now, this is 1978, but that's close enough I to would, the 80s I for me. I almost fought to put this on the list, but we were saying 80s, so I didn't. But this is a great remake. Yeah. It's worth re- mentioning. Yeah, the original is from 1956. Um, good remake. Uh, Nosferatu is a 1979 Warner Herzog remake of 1922 F.W. Mur- Murnau Nosferatu. Really cool movie. Really creepy. Werner Herzog and Klaus Kinsey again. Tobe Hooper's 1986 remake of Invaders from Mars. Mm. So the original was 1953. William Cameron Menzies. Invaders from Mars. That's a fun movie. Kind of weird. Yeah. How about this one? I know you saw this cover in the video store, but the 1989 Robert England Phantom of the Opera. Yes. Oh, yeah. With him pulling the mask off to show his Freddy yeah. face. Yeah. Show his Freddy face. Uh, that's a remake of the 1925 uh, Rupert Julian Phantom of the Opera. Of course, one that we all know because of the Lon Chaney makeup. Uh, I, I don't I don't know if I ever saw that movie, but it was in every video store. <laughs> I've always seen it. It's a classic cover. How about the erotic remake of Cat? People, the 1942 film was remade in the 80s into a erotic thriller. <laughs> and then, um, of course, Flash Gordon was remade in the 80s. There was a Bad Seed made for TV remake in mm-hmm. 1985. Uh, Blood Diner, a 1987 remake of Blood Feast, the Herschel Gordon Lewis movie. Oh, I didn't realize and that then, those were remakes of each other. Uh, sequels, remakes. It's more of a sequel, right. but that movie's bonkers weird. Yes. And then here's one that isn't a horror movie, but one that we have to, I have to mention is 1983 Brian De Palma's remake of Scarface. An awesome remake. Again, the movies have such great DNA still in them from the original, the 1932 original, but they added so much more to it, making this giant epic. It's really cool. So that's my list. Those are the horror remakes and then Scarface of all the 80s movies that's a that's quite a list there that's a good viewing list if you guys don't have anything to do check out some of that shit yeah definitely check out little shop of horrors i think that one's awesome body snatchers as we mentioned is really cool invaders from mars is a fun one tope hooper man that is a fun i like that one i didn't see that one until i don't know maybe like 10 15 years ago but that's definitely a lot of fun well yeah that's our list should we do a countdown what let's count down our favorite remake moments how about that Uh, that sounds good all right here is your pulp culture countdown for 80s horror remake moments. At number five, we have the phone booth kill from The Blob. This is one of my favorite kills. It's so well set up, so creepy, and then so explosive at the end. One of my favorite moments of this movie that is full of awesome movie moments. So, on to number four, what do you got, Rumi? Uh, number four, we have the fly puking on shit <laughs> in, the <laughs> ni- in the 86 <laughs> Cronenberg remake of The Fly. 
He does a oh, couple. I'm sorry, demo- that's disgusting, isn't it? <laughs> that's what he says. He does a couple demonstrations of it. We see it, and then it becomes part of the climax uh, on how he tries to kill Stathis by puking yeah. on his on his gun hand, on his legs, and it is gross. Not only is the puke effect gross, but the melting of the body parts he's puking on is gross. Uh, that's coming in at number four. What do we got for number three, Rooms? At number three, we're coming. We're coming to the thing. John Carpenter's a thing. This is one of the greatest moments. It's the blood test scene where they're heating up a wire and trying to find out who is a thing and who's not. Such a great scene. Culminates in an insanely gory, bloody moment. But just talk about building tension when they're heating up that wire and slowly dipping it into the Petri dishes of blood. You know, I'm on the edge of my seat and riveted every time, even though I know what's going to happen. Number two, we're going to swing back over to the blob, 1988. It creeps, it glides, it slides up the door onto the ceiling and drops onto this guy's head because he was not being careful of the blob. And no, whether, you, whether you've seen the original or not, you are not prepared for how fucked up this guy gets. And as he's melting and your brain is blowing up because it looks so fucking cool, when this girl comes in, grabs his arm, tries to pull him out, and only succeeds in ripping his arm off, I mean, <laughs> it's fan-fucking-tastic. That and that's scene, her boyfriend. Yeah. That's, that's the guy who's supposed to survive this movie wait, and, that's and not help her. her boyfriend. It's their first well, date. She didn't love him Oh, you're him right, yet, you're right. But she likes him, though. She does like him. She was going to give him a little piece. Instead, he gave her a piece. <laughs> <laughs> he gave her some hand stuff. <laughs> no. This is this is not the second base I was hoping for. <laughs> she goes on there like, "How was your first date? Are you going to see him again?" She was like, "No, <laughs> <laughs> no." This effect is a lo- This this really not just the effect. It's the scene is worth watching the entire movie for and there's only yep. one moment that could beat a moment like this Rumi, what do we have coming in at number one? Oh man at number one this is the moment that john carpenter's thing the teeth in the chest the defibrillation scene this guy's having a heart attack they're trying to revive him and this guy goes in to hit his chest with the paddles and it turns into a giant teethy mouth i mean i'm watching i remember this moment the first time i ever saw it in my dorm room watching it on TV and being like, what the fuck is going on right now? It's out of nowhere. You had no clue that this movie was going to go to that extent. Because at this point, it was just like, you saw a creepy dog thing in the dark. You saw a lot of like mistrust and some of that stuff playing out, but you had no idea this was going to turn into teeth monsters and head spiders and creatures crawling across the ceiling. I mean, this movie just pops off at that moment really is just a crazy spike and kind of out of nowhere in most movies they would like lead up to something like this this comes in like right at the beginning of the second act it's like boom this is what movie you're watching right now and it sets the tone for the whole rest of the movie when you're like i do not want a piece of that i do not want to be around that thing and it really sets up the piece that we were talking about earlier with the blood test because they all saw that shit happen they don't want to see it happen again incredible moment one of the best movie moments ever hands down i agree and if you guys haven't seen any of these six movies the originals or the remakes check them out a bunch of them are or a couple at least a couple of them are streaming but they definitely it's worth the rental fee if you haven't um i'm sure most yeah, the of our fly audience is on has. hulu right yeah, now. yeah yeah i think the flight well the flight too is not necessarily worth watching don't, but don't need to watch that movie <laughs> but definitely check these out let us know what you guys think um, did we forget any any 80s horror remakes? Is there any that struck with you? 
any, even any horror remakes in general or any other moments that we didn't talk about today, let us know. Tell us on our social media. Let us know what you guys think. Yeah, you can follow us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at LaunchpadPod and on our website, LaunchpadPod.com. Guys, Monday. It's the first Monday after Halloween. Hope you guys had a great weekend of partying, but be sure to check out Destroyer. Destroy your Monday with the official comic of the Launchpad Podcast. And then on Fridays, we're still doing our artist spotlight. We have a bunch of these little interviews that Matt did at the Made at Meltdown event put on by the Meltdown Orphans. It was freaking awesome. We love talking to these guys. We love hearing about their comic books. And thank you guys for checking out and supporting these independent artists. Super cool. Until next time, we're the Rocketeers. Rumi, you ready to blast this thing off? Fuck yeah, man. All right, let's do this. Oh, God, his arm came off in my hand. <laughs> Dude, I fucking love doing this show, man. Start. Six, five, four.